like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Welcome to Nine Cents. I'm your host, Adam Campbell. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world. It's 24th of July, and, uh, well, let me just get this out there, like, immediately. Uh, I'm feeling a little off right now. I was on a bike ride with my family, and we rounded this corner and we saw this puppy uh, I don't know a black maybe a black lab mix crossing the street and a white SUV ran into it and ran it over so I ran out there grabbed the animal um, pulled it back put it back into the the grass on the side of the road. Um, This uh, Latin family pulled over, and obviously the car that hit it kept driving. I I wasn't even looking at anything but the dog. I didn't get a license plate number. We called Animal Services, and I sat there and uh, watched uh, with my family and the, the other Latin family as this dog slowly slipped out of life. And it immediately reminded me of past dogs that I've lost. You know, if it was a person that had been hit by the car and they were fading out of life, I don't think that I would be as emotionally bothered as I am right now because I would like to think that that person who hit this dog didn't do it intentionally I would like to think that it wasn't on purpose that it didn't murder this animal but they probably were reaching for something in the car. They probably were texting or looking at their fucking phone. And now there's going to be a family without a friend anymore. I like to think that me being near it while it was passing stroking its ear while I was going through its death throes helped. Probably didn't do anything for anyone but my own. So anyway, that's that's what just happened here within the last hour. And I'm, I'm really bothered by it. You know, I'm going to try to 
recollect myself here, and I'm gonna still deliver you a fantastic show because I do have some great guests and I do have some things that I I feel like I want to talk about. But I thought you should know that if I am off my game, well, that's why. Today's the 24th, as I've already mentioned. Which means in Utah and surrounding states, it is Pioneer's Day. Um, and... Essentially what that means is the Mormon church, the LDS church, which started in Illinois, was ran out of Illinois. And so this group of polygamists um, crossed the Midwest into the West and being led by Brigham Young came and landed in Utah and, uh, hence the fucking holiday. Uh, the Mormons, you know, I'm, I'm a little mixed on, to be honest. Uh, I mean, they're just as much of a cult as any other crazy Christian faith. But, uh, they're also, they've also spilt as much blood as any of the younger Christian religions. So, I'm not entirely sure why the state throws a fucking party commemorating their um, run from justice, as it were. But they do. Uh, and sometimes we get time off. There's a parade downtown. There's rodeos. Uh, people light off fireworks. It's like the 2nd, 4th of July this month for those of us who live in Utah. Uh, and so it's it's an okay holiday in that we get the time off, we barbecue, and we light off fireworks. So that's nice. But the meaning behind it is what bothers me. I have yet to meet a devout Mormon who I can stand. I'm not entirely sure I want to. But I'll take the fucking holiday if it means I can spend some extra time with my family. You know, I'll, I'll take what I can get, I, I guess. In The Devil's Advocate today, I'm going to be talking about the Satanic Witch. More specifically, knowing yourself and others. In The Infernal Informant, I have two articles again. Millionaire's six-year-old son becomes mansion's second death. Arkansas town draws a line on clubs. In Creature Feature, I'm going to be bringing you an interview with UV Ray about his book, Road Trips and Other Poems, just recently released. With that said, how about we go ahead and move on into The Devil's Advocate. In this arid wilderness of steel and stone, I'll raise up my voice that you may hear. To the east and to the west I beckon, to the north and to the south. I'll show a sign proclaiming a death to the weakling, wealth to the strong. Can I get a hail Satan? I said, can I get a hail Satan? We are the devil's 
your advocates. Welcome to The Devil's Advocate. As always, let me preface this segment by saying that I am a Satanist. I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. The Satanic Witch, originally published as The Complete Witch, written by Anton Zander LeVay. I actually have two copies of this. One of them has an introduction by Zeno LeVay. The other has an introduction by Peggy Nadramia and an afterword by Blanche Barton. Um, I'm not entirely sure why I picked up the new version. Um, I mean, it was a long time ago. I think, I think honestly, it was just for the introduction and afterward by um, uh, Peggy Nadramia and uh, Blanche Barton. Uh, the content in both is from the same source and invaluable, not only to you witches out there, but I also think, you know, you fledgling warlocks can learn a thing or two here. I'm going to be talking briefly here about the second chapter called Knowing Yourself and Others. There's a number of sections in it that I'm going to touch on briefly. And my goal here is not only to inform you a little bit about the book, but to whet your appetite so that you'll go out and pick it up if you haven't already. You should. The real you. I'm going to read this first paragraph and then talk about each of the sections in brief. In order to properly analyze or size up an individual you plan to bewitch, it is imperative that you understand certain rules. For the purpose of witchcraft, one should conceive of each person having two personalities, the one everyone sees and the one he carries within him. Actually, these two personalities can be broken down into three layers, the outer layer being the cover, by which others often tell the book, and the inner layer, the so-called true personality. There is a third layer, however, that is sadly neglected, always there and always apparent. The reason it is not readily noticed is because it is all too visible, much like the old saying about not being able to see the forest for the trees. This third personality represents the inner core, the reversion to type, and is a direct reflection of the characterization which is seen on the surface or first layer. So what the real you is talking about are the different portions of personality that make up an individual. You have your apparent and core self, which are collectively referred to as majority self, and you have your demonic minority self, which is generally the polar opposite of your majority. He goes into great detail here, explaining and helping you, the fledgling witch, understand this concept. And it's because this concept is core to your understanding and practicing of lesser magic. The only way you're going to effectively charm or fuck, understand someone else is if you understand their true self. 
you know, you can actually jump back to my uh, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs episode. Because in order to really be able to manipulate others, you have to first truly understand yourself. Which means you have to be at a level of self-actualization. The next section is the LaVey Personality Synthesizer. And essentially what this boils down to is a clock of personality types which you use to not only identify your target's personality, but you use that clock to find the demonic minority self of your target. And he'll go into detail in this book about how you use that to your benefit. I mean, he even goes so far as to talk about temperament, skin and flesh tone, general proportions, sexual proclivities, sense of humor, alcohol and drug use, professions and occupations, sports, athletics, aches and pains, and then he moves on into you and your nature. He also talks about power in names and the target's name. He goes into detail about the law of the attraction of opposites and how you can tell a man by the car he drives, sleeping patterns and other behavioral activities. As you can see, this is an in-depth character study chapter. The book as a whole is invaluable to the witch. Even if for some reason you are not a Satanist, this book will help you with dealing with other people, understanding their, their natures. But if you are a witch, pick up a copy if you don't already have it. Learn everything you need to know to be the best witch. And uh, let your will be done. That's all I wanted to talk about in this Devil's Advocate. Let's move on over to Infernal Informant. Warriors of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes, the dead rising from the grave, human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together, mass hysteria, all in the Infernal Informant. Investigators probe possible link in mansion deaths. Jonah... Shacknai's son and girlfriend died in separate incidents. This is from KTLA News, posted the 19th of July, Coronado, California. Authorities continue to investigate a possible link between the deaths of a multi-millionaire's girlfriend and six-year-old son at Spreckles Mansion in Coronado. Police were called to the seaside home of Medicus Pharmaceutical Corps founder and CEO Jonah Shacknai around 10 a.m. July 11th after his six-year-old son Max was critically injured from what police said was reported as a fall from a staircase in the home. Coronado Police Chief Louis Scanlon said. The boy later died of his injuries. The family released the following statement Sunday night. With great sadness, Dina and I convey the tragic passing of our beloved son Max, affectionately known as Maxi. Despite heroic efforts on the part of paramedics and hospital staff, he was unable to recover from the injuries suffered early last week. 
His loving, kind, and vibrant spirit will forever be in our hearts and those whom he touched every day. The loss to our families, Max's many friends of all ages and teammates, and the community is immeasurable. Max's death is the second in less than a week at the mansion. Two days after Max's injury, the body of his father's 32-year-old girlfriend, Rebecca Nalepa, was found bound, nude, and hanging from a second-story balcony overlooking the courtyard. Shaknai's brother, Adam, a resident of Guest House on the property, found Nalepa, according to Captain Tim Curran of the San Diego County Sheriff's Department Homicide Squad. Adam Shaknai alerted authorities by calling emergency 911 and cutting down the unclothed body, which then fell into the courtyard. Curran said at a news conference Thursday, Shaknai was not present in either case when authorities responded to the residence. When Shaknai's son fell, authorities say they found only the injured boy and Nalepa at home. Both brothers and Jonas Shaknai's ex-wife, Dina Shaknai, the mother of his six-year-old son, were being questioned as witnesses in the investigation and were cooperating with detectives, Curran said. Investigators say Nalepa and an unidentified 13-year-old boy were the only people home when Max was injured. Authorities declined to discuss Jonah Shaknai's current whereabouts. The Arizona Republic newspaper cited his former mother-in-law, Nancy Romano, as saying Jonah and Dina Shaknai had been with their son since he was hospitalized. Curran said no one has been detained or was considered a suspect in the case, which investigators have not so far labeled as the result of foul play even though Nalepa was found with her hands tied behind her back and her feet also bound. (laughs) How could that be construed as foul play? (laughs) Unbelievable. Curran said investigators had not ruled out suicide. Really? Because of the unique and bizarre circumstances, it has yet to be determined whether this is a homicide or a suspicious death, Curran told reporters. This is a very bizarre death, there's no doubt about it. All right, all right, all right, all right. So you're telling me that this girl, Nalepa, bound herself after gagging herself with her hands behind her back and her feet and then hung herself from the balcony. And that police department doesn't find that <laughs> as a potential homicide? What the fuck is going on? Seriously? KSWB TV is reporting that Nalepo was distraught and crying when she turned her dog over to a kennel hours before she was found dead. Her autopsy results have been sealed, and toxicology results were pending. A determination on her cause of death could be made later this week. A homicide detective tells the station that the deaths may be connected, but declined to elaborate. Court records show Jonah and Dina Shaknai, his second wife, had their divorce finalized in January of this year.
though Romano told the Arizona Republic that her former son-in-law and Nalepa had been together for almost two years. Nalepa, who was herself divorced in February, had her maiden surname of Zehau legally restored in May, according to the court records in Arizona. Medicus issued a brief statement on the incident without giving details. The Medicus family is deeply saddened to learn of a tragic incident at the California property owned by Jonah Shacknai, the company said. Our thoughts are with Jonah and his family, and ask that the family's privacy be respected during this difficult period. Land records show that Shacknai 54, whose Scottsdale, Arizona-based company is maker of the acne treatment Solidin and wrinkle filler Restylane, purchased the 27-room landmark property known as the Spreckles Mansion in October 2010. Shares of the company, which reported 2010 revenues of $700 million, tumbled as much as 5% following news of the investigation. That's the article. I think it is absolutely fucking crazy to not treat this as a homicide on Nalepa's side. Though it is entirely possible that she bound her legs, gagged herself, set the noose up, bound her arms, and then jumped off the balcony. Why the fuck would you do that if you were so distraught about this that you had to off yourself? Logically, you're not thinking clearly if you want to fucking off yourself. And especially in this elaborate of a fashion. Now, I can speculate all day. I don't know. But if this isn't treated like a homicide, San Diego fucking Sheriff Department needs to seriously fucking fire their homicide team and get someone in who will treat this like it. They're not ruling it out right now. (laughs) How fucking gracious. Now, honestly, this kid, it's entirely possible he was just playing with his friend, he slipped, fell, and fucking died of injuries. So that in itself doesn't necessarily have any foul play scribbled all over it. Um, The girl, you know, speculation again, could have just been so distraught by the death of this boy that she couldn't take it anymore. Uh, someone like the husband or brother could, or fuck, the ex-wife could have blamed her and had her offed. Um, there's a lot of possibles here. But to not immediately call it a homicide is lazy, it's dodgy, and it just speaks to fucking corruption. So what, this guy's a millionaire, so he's gonna get away with it? Come on. Uh, and like I said before, you know what, maybe, who knows, you know, maybe he is going to get fucking the chair or something, you know, in months or years to come after this has been fucking analyzed to shit, assuming that it even will. Uh, I just saw this article and I couldn't fucking believe it. (laughs) You know, it's just one of those things. And I got to tell you. I don't, I don't subscribe to ghosts. I think it's an absurd notion. I do subscribe to residual energy. Because we are all beings of 
of uh, of energy. You know, I, I truly follow you know physics in that energy never disappears; it just transforms. So I think it's entirely possible to have residual energy of a person remnant in a house, and I think now this is going to be a little edgy here. I think there's a way for our consciousness to be able to perceive that and be driven fucking nuts by it. Uh, you can call this my theory on haunting, though I think at its core, it's the recipient that's doing it, not anything else, not some intellect of a past individual. It's the perception of their residual energy, I think, that is the catalyst. And I would like to see that happen here. So if in a couple of weeks we hear about another suicide at Spreckle's mansion, let's just say uh, perhaps it's justified. Either way, let's go ahead and move on to the second article, shall we? This is from the New York Times. Arkansas Town Draws a Line on Clubs by Robbie Brown, published July 19th, 2011. Be careful before starting a Boy Scout troop in Gold, Arkansas, or a Harry Potter fan club, or a baseball team. The city council adopted an ordinance last week making it illegal to form any kind of group without its permission. That is a clear violation of the Constitution, legal scholars agree. But it is also a sign of just how nasty politics has gotten in gold, a farming town of 1,100, some 70 miles southeast of Little Rock, where members of the council have struggled with a local political group that seeks to influence how the town is governed. The mayor, Ernest Nash Jr., also happens to be a member of the political group, the Gold Citizens Advisory Council. Even by the standards of small-town dramas, Gold's situation is bleak. The town faces nearly 300,000 in unpaid taxes, and there have been frequent clashes among the mayor, the advisory group, and the city council over how to repay it. Those clashes, and a perception by the city council that the citizens' group is seeking too much influence, led to the ban on new organizations. Quote, I've seen some humdingers, but never any ordinance like this, said Mark Hayers, a general counsel for the Arkansas Municipal League, an organization for towns and cities. And it's not the only ordinance bringing unfavorable attention. Last week, the council overrode the mayor's veto of two other controversial measures. One required that the Citizens Advisory Council cease to exist. The other made it illegal for the mayor to meet with any organization in any location, either inside or outside Gold City Limits, without the council's permission. The Advisory Council, which calls itself a nonpartisan group that educates voters and raises money for public causes, says it will continue its work. But the council, in one ordinance, accused the group of Quote, causing confusion and discourse amongst the citizens, end quote, by harshly criticizing local officials at public meetings. As a result, the city council said, no new organizations shall be allowed to exist in the city of gold without approval from a majority of the council. The ordinances were so unusual that the 
that one television news anchor, Donna Terrell of Fox 16 News in Little Rock, blurted out on the air, You've got to be kidding me! Political feuds became especially heated in places where everyone knows everyone, Mrs. Terrell said in an interview. The ordinances were passed last month, then vetoed by the mayor, and then overridden by the council on July 12th. The mayor said he would go to jail rather than stop meeting with local groups or withdrawing his support for the advisory council. These ordinances are blatantly unconstitutional, Mr. Nash said. For the most part, people are just ignoring them. On Monday, the city council, too, began backing away. Sonia Farley, a councilwoman, said she would probably vote to rewrite the ordinances with more constitutionally sensitive wording. But Ms. Farley at the council was frustrated with the mayor's tendency to hold community meetings without advising them to the entire town. I'm sorry, without ad advertising them to the entire town. This ordinance was worded wrong, she said. It wasn't written to stop people from meeting. It was written to treat everyone fairly. In the meantime, Mr. Nash said he would continue to do his job exactly as he always has. Technically, what I'm doing, I guess, is illegal, he said. But if I'm going to get arrested for meeting with citizens or letting them form their own groups, that's a pretty good reason to go to jail. Okay, I was brought to the attention of this article by Facebook social networking and of course as with anyone seeing this at face value the sky began to fall so yeah perhaps maybe this one wouldn't be the total burning of the constitution but maybe in 10 or 20 groups from now passing laws like this it's the degradation of our rights man bullshit this is total and utter bullshit. First of all, and let me just put this out here, there was one line in this that I found awfully interesting. Uh, the council was frustrated with the mayor's tendency to hold community meetings without advertising them to the entire town. And the council accused the group of causing confusion and discourse among the citizens by harshly criticizing local officials at public meetings. Essentially what it sounds like is this mayor is catering only to a specific demographic or a specific population that is a part of this organization and not the entire town which means he is not doing his job. Now, I am positive that this city council is having some serious problems with being called out at every fucking meeting and not being able to get their points across, etc. I get that. And that's probably what prompted this. So, on the council's side, who fucking cares? You're not elected to have be fucking treated like a fucking prince in a fucking castle. You're a city council member. You're shit. You're there to do the bidding of the fucking people. And if your feelings get hurt in the way, if your job is difficult, well then you're probably doing the right fucking thing. You can't please everyone. You have to do the best you can, and then you'll get voted out if you do badly, or you'll get re-voted in if you do well. That's how it fucking works. But what you don't do is try to silence those who are fucking verbally 
opposed to you. That's what our democracy is all about. That's why we have functioned so successfully. I'm sure as you see it, unsuccessfully as a country. But also to the mayor. What the fuck is wrong with you, man? If you're not going to advertise your meetings with everyone, you are doing exactly what the city council would like to be doing, only including people with like mind. You are going out of your way to avoid opposition, and then all the while, providing it to the city council. Stop being a fucking hypocrite. Let your fucking entire population that you're supposed to be representing, not just your small little group there, but the entire population, get in on these meetings. Let them have the time to organize. Let them have the time to protest if that is what they wish. That's what our fucking system is all about. It's frustrating for me to see shit like that. And then people take one side or the other. Both of these fucking parts are fucking wrong. Both of them are in the wrong. Now, I have to admit here, I don't know all the details, all the nit and gritty, the dirty details. All I know is what's written in this article. But it's pretty fucking telling, the way I'm reading it anyway. No one side is right here. No one side is ever right here. They're both fucked up. One for being whiny bitches, and the other one for being sneaky fucks. Both of you? Get out there, be whiny bitches, accept that that's the reality of politics, and do the best you can while you're in office. And when you're out, vote to change what you couldn't in office. That's what our process is all about. Accept it. Love it. Because without it, we are the fascist nation that so many other countries see us as, and that's not the road I want to travel on. I would rather be bitched at than to be thrown in jail performing a fucking group. So anyway, that's my take on these two articles, and that's going to bring us halfway to the show. Let's stop for a break. On the other side, I'm going to be talking with UV Ray about his new chapbook of poems. See you on the other side. The Satanic Scriptures hands down the wit, wisdom, and diabolical perspective of the Church of Satan's High Priest, Magus Peter H. Gilmore. These essays, articles, and diatribes have been collected from over 20 years of the High Priest's writings for his infernal cabal, some first issued in the pages of publications available only to insiders. From the magic of toys to techniques of time travel, Magus Gilmore leads the reader down a left-hand path where few will find what they expect. Magus Gilmore reveals principles of satanic ritual in a frank discussion of forbidden rites. What is a satanic funeral? How do Satanists marry? Find out now, as these unholy ceremonies have never been disclosed outside of the Church of Satan's hellish hierarchy. Here is the philosophy for those bold enough to be their own gods or devils. Visit thesatanicscriptures.com for more information. Released by Scapegoat Publishing. Available in paperback form from major booksellers and independents nationwide. Is this, is this thing on? All right, is it this thing working now? You got it. All right. Uh, this year's um, Citizens Against Decency uh, Book Award uh, goes to Stephanie Crabe and uh, uh, Motel Bazaar. It's, uh, yes, excuse you. It's, it's not just a uh, book. 
photo book of uh, truck stop lesbians, wacko cult leaders, racists, trannies, and the uh, grossly obese. It also has uh, tits in it, which uh, I, uh, I can appreciate. Without uh, further ado, Cat Award for the Advancement of Immorality in uh, Books. Uh, with Stephanie, where are you, darling? Come on up. What, what, what's that? I was Motel Bazaar by Stephanie Crabe. Available through scapegoatpublishing.com. Now available from Purging Talon is the debut authored book by Church of Satan Magister Matt G. Paradise, Bearing the Devil's Mark. Bearing the Devil's Mark is a bold and no-nonsense treatise on the subject of Satanism. Not from the perverse pen of bitter and jealous Christians, or even their pagan counterparts, but straight from the satanic perspective itself. Sex, love, politics, technology, the god religions, and more, all brought to you by someone with over 25 years of actively living the satanic philosophy. To order, log on to PurgingTalon.com. Bearing the Devil's Mark, new from Purging Talon. Do you bear the mark? You know, dogs are different than cats, and hey, what if Jack Nicholson were... Hey, what if We Are the World was sung by the cast of Friends? I think it might go something like this. Hi, everyone. I'm Jay Leno. Anyone remember when I was funny? Eat Doritos. Ladies and gentlemen, Dane Cook. Are you fed up with comedy that's made for the masses? Sick of stand-up comedian hacks with the same old routines that you've heard a thousand times before? Equally tired of shock jocks who equate loudness with laughter? Hello, my name is Reverend Bill M., creator and host of The Devil's Mischief, a show where every week I present a new hour of comedy and novelty of devilish proportions. So tune in to The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com to download the latest podcast. The Devil's Mischief. Carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers simply not made for the masses. Greetings, Fright Fiends. Hungry for a blood-curdling good time? Well, Terror Transmission brings you horror movie commentary like no other podcast. Listen in as your handsome hosts examine all of your current and soon-to-be favorites from the past. Tune in through iTunes or the show's official website, www.terrortransmission.com. Where you can also find horror chat, on-site movie reviews, horror DVD release dates, and more. And don't forget to check out Terror Transmission on Facebook, MySpace, Twitter, and Flickr. Terror Transmission, the greatest horror commentary podcast ever. The sky is dark, moon piercing the night. Through the trees, the damsel in distress comes, breaking through the underbrush. Fear painted on her face. The darkness hunting her is near. She the swamp, water slowing her escape. The creature nears, the damsel turns, hands rising to her sides as her last effort to thrust the creature back. Welcome to Creature Feature. 
Welcome to another Creature Feature. Today I'm being joined by a very special guest, UV Ray. We're going to be talking about his new book, Road Trip and Other Poems. UV Ray, thank you so much for joining me. How are you this morning? I'm absolutely fantastic. How are you? <laughs> Great. Um, before we start getting into your uh, book, Road Trip and Other Poems, can you maybe tell uh, me and uh, my audience here a little bit about yourself? Uh, well, it has been said I'm a, I'm a different person day to day, so you know I don't know. I mean, I don't know who I am until until I until I open my mouth and hear what I've got to say. So, you know, uh, one thing that seems pretty consistent, I can tell you, is that um, uh, you know I'm a simple man. Uh, I'm not. I don't sit here pondering the rudiments of the universe. Uh, <laughs> I'm not interested in the biological composition of the orange. Uh, only, only enjoying the sweet juices. <laughs> I, I live in the moment. That's very cool. Um, so, it, are you are you a Satanist? I am. I am a Satanist. Um, I first realised that um, it was probably in the late eighties, early nineties. Um, as, as you already know, like a lot of people, it was just a case of. Um, discovering the satanic bible reading it and um seeing yourself in the pages oh yeah it was many more years before i took action um it was kind of thing like again uh like a lot of people read the book i probably i bought the bottom probably read it in an afternoon and then i put it down for a few years and sort of picked it up again later on and then um then uh, uh perhaps took it more seriously that's cool do you remember when um, you officially joined the Church of Satan, and maybe what prompted you to join versus just being a Satanist? It was, that was uh, I think it was either 2002 or 2003 that I actually joined. Um, uh, at first, <laughs> I thought it was quite a, a humorous kind of addition to my life. <laughs> um, and the people who know me um, thought it equally as funny. Um, you know, being the man they'd come to know, it sort of didn't surprise them. Um, but I wrote a thing for um, a, a, a sort of political magazine here um, in England um, a while ago called The New Statesman. Um, and I said then that um, the Church of Satan is kind of like one in the eye for the established order. Um, that's pretty much what I'm about anyway. Um, and I, I likened it to being rather like a stand-up comedian whose implicit truths are kind of delivered on this skewer of sardonic laughter. Um, <laughs> and that pretty much sums up the Church of Satan for me. Yeah. Um, but, you know, there's a truth that lies at the heart of the philosophies that, you know, not everyone's capable of accepting. Um, I, think, um, I think a lot of people need their self-sufficient delusions. And, you know, Satanism doesn't provide them with that sort of pink gloss to paint over the world with. Right. Nice. So, let's move on a little bit to your, well, to the, the book and, and the process in going into it. What initially inspired you to start writing in the first place? I, I mean, I, I just started writing when I was, uh, when I was very young, uh, like a lot of writers, they say, he started in childhood. I started when I was about seven or eight years old, I think, just writing stories, you know, just just just, just childish things, obviously. Um, but these days, I, you know, I don't consider it an inspiration. I consider it an affliction. <laughs> um, if I could, you know, if I could walk away from writing, I would. Um, really? Kind of like a, Sorry? 
I sorry, I just said really. Yeah, I mean it's it's kind of like a compulsion. I think I think it's probably symptomatic of the many psychological quirks that <laughs> I have. Um, and you know, I think I think all of us, whether you're a writer or not, I think we're all sort of subject to the world that formed us. Yeah. Um, our own experiences. I think some people need to rape and butcher other people. I mean, I just write. Um, we all have to do what we have to do in order to function. Um, I think we're all products of time and circumstance. Um, and just as you know, Jack the Ripper did what he had to do. I have to write. I don't think there's any any distinction between me and such people. Um, I think I think at the core, the drive to do what we have to do is the same. Um, kind of kind of indelibly ingrained into a into a flawed ego of yeah. some kind. Uh, that's really interesting. Do you have any literary heroes then? Um, I mean, in my observation, artists <laughs> are completely useless in the conventional world. <laughs> Most of them, you know, completely unemployable in the normal workplace. I mean, if you look at people like, you know, Lux Interior from The Cramps, I mean, you, you know, you watch his stage show and you watch how the band are. I mean, you look at him, you couldn't employ him. He couldn't be in anything else than he does. <laughs> yeah. um, you know what I mean? But I think, I think writers specifically, writers are sort of uh, perhaps crippled by their own neurosis. Um, uh, personally, I've always said my own work is more like an Andy Warhol painting rather than a, a Francis Bacon uh, in the sense that I'm more about surfaces. I, I tend to take snapshots of the world around me rather than delving into the whys and wherefores. Um, so I don't really have any literary heroes. There are one or two uh, writers I like, but my, my own influences were more of the Velvet Underground, Jesus and Mary Chain, Gary Newman, Andy Warhol. Um, but as I say, there are, there are a few works of fiction I actually like. Um, I've, I've been told many times that I write like Charles Bukowski, but but I, I don't really think I do. I think uh, I think my work's more composed than his. I think his was far more raw. Um, I was once compared to Giuseppe Ungaretti, uh, which is an Italian writer, and sort of around the uh, time of the First World War, he wrote um, in a kind of impressionist style. And when I read his, I, I'd actually never read him until someone compared me to him, but then when I checked him out, uh, you know, I could see a similarity in his sort of simplistic style. Um, but, but other than that, of course, I mean, he was from a completely different time to me, so yeah. you know, the, the similarity ends there. Because um, there are a few people who I definitely didn't want to write like. Um, I mean, you, you know, there's a, there's a writer here called John Cooper Clark, and he's you know, just plodding puerile couplets that he writes, and he's been at it for years, <laughs> and he hasn't changed or improved in any way. Um, and I can only say, you know, if I woke up one day, looked in the mirror and found, my, found that I was John Cooper Clark, you know, I'd stick my head in an oven. <laughs> <laughs> no. Well, you made a couple comments there that I think are kind of interesting. So, do you think, because a writer was born in a different era, that that would make their writing drastically different? I, I mean... Are you writing about the human experience, which I would like to think is sort of timeless, or are you writing more just about the human experience in your life? Well, I think I think we, we can all only write about about the time that we're we're living. I think um, 
But I yeah, I mean, I think, as you say, the human experience itself, who we are as people, our desires and loves and feelings are, are probably the same. But we are shaped by the time that we live in, which is kind of like why I don't like retrospective writers so much. I think as artists, we need to, we need to, we need to um, sum up the time that we are living in. Um, if you know what I mean by that, I, um, I think that hopefully in the future that my writing itself will stand up as a sort of a sort of historical document, if you like. Um, I'm definitely observing the world around me, but certainly our experience of it, our effect on us as people, is probably probably similar throughout time. Nice. So, what's the process you go through when deciding to compile a novel or collection? It, it just sort of happens. I mean, um, certainly with poetry, there's no decision. I mean, I write them over time, send them out to the magazines, and when I have enough to compile a collection, I do it. Um, it, it, it just kind of evolves that way. And um, do you find your writing has a natural connection in some way, uh, be it a, a theme or anything, or or is this just sort of just a collection of your writings put together? Well, uh, as I say, the poetry certainly, um, you, you just wait until you've got enough. Um, with the novellas that I've recently finished, um, uh, no plan, no outline. Uh, I literally just started writing and wrapped it up when it seemed finished, uh, which is pretty much in, in line with what I feel about books these days anyway. I, I, I don't do little or no editing. Um, I don't believe in plot lines or outlines or structure. I think the day of the contrived plot-driven novel is probably dead, um, and I, I, I like to sort of deconstruct as opposed to fabrication. Um, the first first novel I wrote, Spiral Out, I wrote it in four weeks, um, and sent it off, and that, that should be coming out on Britain's um, pulp press pretty soon. Um, I don't know an exact date yet, but they've, they've taken it, and it will be out on them, so I'm looking forward to that. Um, yeah, so are we. One, Ain't That Nothing, is, is at Murder Slim, and I've got no idea what they're going to make of it yet, so, yeah, I think I think with the with the fiction, I'm, I'm, I'm or anything really, I'm, I'm more about uh, aesthetics, uh, I like the phonetics of the writing, I, you know, sometimes wonder, perhaps should have been a painter rather than a writer, and, you know, I'm just probably been on this, the wrong road all my life, do you know what I mean? Well, yeah. But, um, so, no, I, 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 I tend not to think too much about it, um, I think, as I, as I just said, I mean, I think probably more like a photographer, I just try to capture the moment. Okay. Otherwise, inconsequential moments. I sometimes see things when I'm walking around cities, and there are just little passing moments either between people or whatever, and it's otherwise an inconsequential moment that I think would have otherwise just just been lost forever. So that's you know that's as far as I think about it. Really, I think <coughs> like anything, thinking too much can actually you know weigh down, get in the way yeah. of, of the essence of the uh, the matter. So I, th- I think that's really fascinating that you do little or no editing when you're writing your novellas and, and, and um, large uh, uh, blocks of writing. So do you think that, because you had mentioned that it might be a bygone method of, of structure in writing, do you think that that is informed because of blogs and the internet and the way that we communicate in short, sharp you know, text messages now instead of long written letters? 
yeah, it's definitely going to uh, it's definitely going to influence it, and also so much. I mean, if you look at how films have changed, if you look at films from the 1930s or 40s, the acting is still very akin to stage acting, very dramatic. If and then then you had the method actors like James Dean and and Marlon Brando, of course, they changed everything. And I think since then we've had this um, sort of deconstruction of it and now you're looking for reality in you know in films or or, or, or any other media um it tends to be a, a thing that's 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 systematic throughout society really um so i think it's just more literal uh it, you know it, it isn't going through a process of translation people are just looking for more gritty reality uh, and in fact, Charles Bukowski did the same with literature. It was just very raw and um, and less less refined. And I think that's just become the norm now. And then, of course, as you say, the internet, the way people speak, in kind of like little sound bites now, has probably affected it. So you know, as I, you know, it's coming back to what I was saying really about being a product of the time. Yeah. Um, I can only hope that in the future, as I say, people look back at my writing. It is a product of its time. That's exactly what I wanted today. Very cool. So what was the process of writing Road Trip and Other Poems like? Well, it, it's really just um, a collection that had appeared in the magazines. There was no real process in the book itself. The only process is this perpetual state of affairs that's going on in my own head. Um, it's just, a, I mean, I'm never not writing. I'm continually writing wherever I am. There's always something I'm thinking in my head that I need to get down. Um, so there's, there's a constant process within me, but there's no process to the book itself. I find that so interesting. I often, you know, just throughout life will will see something or note something and just sort of laugh to myself in my head. But I would imagine that that you know that moment that I would just laugh about or just you know think is interesting. It, that's like a compulsion for you to just start writing, just right there and. It seems like uh, absolutely. It could almost be maddening, I would think. Well, it is a torture. That is, you know, it's exactly why I've said. Um, okay. uh, yeah, it is maddening. It, it is a torture, and that's that's why I uh, that's why I say I, I, you know, I would leave writing if I could. It is it is a terrible compulsion and affliction. But yes, it is maddening. <laughs> it's something that never leaves. I, I'm constantly waking up in the middle of the night to write things down. And, oh wow! You know, I've heard, I've heard other writers say that too, and it's. It's certainly debilitating to relationships because it's very difficult to have, have people around you. Um, <clears throat> I heard a, another writer in London say the same thing, that she, she actually can't live with a man because he gets in the way of her writing. Oh, wow. And, you know, I feel completely the same. I, I sometimes just get to the point where I can't have people around, um, which is which is why I live alone now. I just, um, I, I, it just I, it's, I, I'm difficult to live with because I become antagonized if people make the slightest little noise while I'm trying to write something, you know. Um, that's the people around me, but it's strange because at the same time I write in coffee shops and bars or anywhere where I take my little notebook with me, and then I sort of write, type them up later. But in a bar or in the street or anywhere like that, I'm not distracted. But I am. I am if I'm trying to type it up and refine it at home, and then someone's eating an apple. <laughs> <laughs> Crunch! <laughs> Will you stop that? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> nice. So, do you have any favorites in your collection of road trip and other poems? Not really. I mean, it's not like you read your own work. Um, 
the only sense of read them is he's kind of like analytically in the same way that an engineer would tweak a machine I just sort of look at how the phonetics are working um, but uh, no I can't say that I have favourites in that sense because you, you can't really enjoy your own work well, um... I don't think anyway I don't think you know I can't really imagine like you know Mick Jagger driving down the road in his car with his own album on you know <laughs> yeah, that would. I don't know. I, I think there are definitely some people that are, but it might be a little more. Um, uh, it, it might make me uh, have a little bit more respect for you because you don't, you know. <laughs> yeah, maybe. It's, it's just that you know. Essentially, on some level, it's really just masturbation. <laughs> you know, you're reading your own work and loving it. It is. It is. I never thought of that, but it is. But I often joke that um, you know, if someone, sometimes. People have asked me, you know, who's your favourite writer? And I, I will joke that I only really like reading my own work. Um, but, it, but it is a joke, I, I, which I, I'm not sure actually people get now. I think they probably think I do. <laughs> yeah, without qualifying it, they probably do just think, wow, that dude. <laughs> yeah. So is there any chance I could get you to read one of your poems from that book? I will read one from Road Trip. Yeah. Uh, I just find it fascinating the the inflection, the tone, the pauses that the artists add to it. You know that they intend um, to, it to be read as. Um, yeah, versus... I mean, you know, there's sort of two camps really: there's those that write for the page and those that write for performance. Um, I haven't used to think that my my writing was made for for performance. I, I used to think it was really made for the page in the sense that. When I'm writing them, I also like to set the lines out how I like it to look on the page. Um, and it's been quite recently that it's, it's sort of been pointed out to me that they do perform quite well. So, nice. you know. Um, but let me, uh, I'll read this one here. This one's, um, this one's, uh, was a poem from New York, actually, um, called Apartment Block. Fascinating. Good. Fantastic. So, uh, here we go. Um, let's get the page open. Right. Staring through the cracked window pane, this city is a wasteland. I'm out of gin and I'm stone cold broke, the streets as hot as a gunshot wound. And I'm asphyxiated by the sweat fumes rising from the subway grills. In my room, paint peels from the walls like a sidewinder shedding its skin in the heat. Whilst towards the rooftops of Brooklyn, trains screech along Williamsburg Bridge. Each river glittering in the sunset, the gods and angels are dead. New York as twilight falls, all lit up. On my windowsill, the empty coffee cup. Nice. Very, very nice. I cannot wait to get this book in my hand. If there was something you could change about your writing, aside from just stopping it, <laughs> would you, and what do you think it would be? Uh, well, I don't think you can. I don't think anyone can change who they are as a writer, you've just got to accept who you are. Um, I mean, really I'd, I'd, I'd give anything to be able to write like Henry Miller, but you know, but you never can, you see. I mean, it's he, he's from a different world, a different time, and he's, you know, again, coming back to what we were saying earlier, or I was, he's, he's formed by different circumstances, so, you know, again, I can only hope that one day <laughs> my work has its own place in history like, like his does. Yeah. Um, you know, at the same time, you know, this is the age of the loser. This is the age when equality rules and every loser wins. You know, pe people who can't even string a sentence together are calling themselves writers these days. 
and unfortunately, in some cases, been accepted as such by the great unwashed. You know, so I sometimes wonder what's it all for, you know, what difference does being any good make? <laughs> um, it, you know, it leaves a nasty stench in my nostrils. I mean, you know, um, yeah. getting, getting published in a lot of the cases these days is rather like, the, you know, the consolation prize for the retarded kid. Oh, no. Um, <laughs> well, you know, I mean, you, you know, that, that's the world we're living in, unfortunately. And, you know, uh, you know, whilst the internet has been absolutely fantastic for most writers, and there's, there's writers out there who deserve an audience, and the, the internet has given them and that, it's also, you know... It's also a vehicle, I, I usually say, you know, it's, it's a vehicle not necessarily of thought, but of mouth. You know, it, it's sort of given, every, given everybody a mouth, so, you know, it's not always a good thing, but... Yeah. At the same time, the, the internet has been a revolution in the same way that the, the printing press was a revolution in the 1400s, that it brought literature to the masses. Um, but unfortunately, you know, the, the crap that's out there also increases exponentially. So, you know, it just takes longer to sort through the crap. Oh, yeah. So when you write, do you write with an audience in mind? Like, uh, like no, a specific again, group I mean, I or type? Sorry? Sorry, uh, with a specific group or type of audience in mind? Not really. I don't think, I don't think you can. I mean, I think... Um, you know, uh, to be honest, I look at some people, I wouldn't even want to sell them a book. Um, <laughs> nice. you know, um, but, you know, I I don't like governments and I don't like corporatism. Uh, corporatism. I, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think, as a rule, the populace, you know, it's a, a collective of bloodless bastards, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I think the state these days is successfully installed itself as, as the body to which everyone sort of belongs and you know any kind of opposition or or um, or insurrection is, is the cancer within society and uh, so I don't really try to speak for people I mean um, and I, you know I don't waste my energy trying to do that nothing I can say can change them um, I think you can just write what you write and hope that the right kind of people like it so, you know, the, who do you think that... The literature that... scene itself, the literature scene itself, you know, it's full of these little cliques, little, yeah. little conglomerates of people all, you know, clubbing together, it's friends publishing friends, and, you know, they're, they're not just scratching each other's backs, you know, they're positively licking each other's genitals. <laughs> uh, you know, I don't, you know, I don't want any part of that, I, you know, I really do just, I really do just, um, I, you know, well, I... Just stick to doing what I do. Just write what I write. Hope that certain people like it, and uh, the rest of them can, um, you know, for all I care, go and drink tree stump killer. Nice. And that's it. <laughs> as I see it. Who is that? That audience, that ideal audience, um, that you hope would like it. I, 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 I've given up thinking about it. I really have. I think um, I don't know. I really don't know who, who like now. You know, to be honest, I'm probably. Probably, probably very few people like it. I mean, you know, I've, I'm a very much an underground writer, and I've, I've been on that underground literature scene for for just about twenty years now. So, you know, I was sending out work to print magazines long before the internet developed it in, into what it is now. Um, so, you know, I've really no idea. Um, I, I, I've just given up thinking about it. I can't. I can't. 
can't hope that people like it any more than I do, but at the same time, I, I can't change what I do. I certainly can't write specifically for an audience, no. Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you so much for talking with me, Ray. I really appreciate it. It's, it's been really an honor. I've been looking forward to this for, for quite some time. Oh, great, thank you. If... Uh, how can other people find uh, the the previous novella, the novellas that you've published, or the previous um, works that you've done? They they can go to my website. It's um, I mean I obviously I mean the stuff I've published I can't remember where it is. It's all over the place to be honest with you in various anthologies, um, yeah. magazines around the world. Um, I used to have it all listed on my website, but there's there's too much of it now, and it's rather you know tedious to read through. So, um, but people can find me at. Um, www.uvray.moonfruit.com um, and that, that's, that's probably the best place. Okay. Uh, and they can contact me through there as well. There's a contact page. So. That's fantastic. Um, I, I just want to give a, a really heartfelt thank you again and uh, I hope in the future if, uh, well not if, but when you publish uh, new works um, maybe you could come on and uh, chat with it you know, for a little bit. Yeah, that would be great. I mean, um, I'm expecting Spiral out uh, to be out later, probably the end of the year now, but, but I've got no control over that. So yeah. certainly it's been, uh, it's been great, and I'd uh, love to come on again. Fantastic. And until then, hail Satan. Hail Satan, Adam. Thank you. It was really great talking to UV Ray about his uh, novella. And if you haven't picked it up yet, I did end up receiving it. Uh, just a couple days after that interview, uh, I sat down, I read the poems out loud because personally, I just, I think that's how they feel better, you know, read out loud. And there are some really fucking great poems in that novella. I mean, I'm, I'm sorry, in that chat book. So if you haven't gotten it yet, definitely go pick, go pick it up. It's uh, an education in excellence, you could say. Uh, that's going to do it for another show. Before I get into the outro here, I wanted to talk briefly about donations. Now, I know a lot of you don't want to deal with listening or putting down a dime, and I'm not asking for my podcast. I I figure I do this podcast because I want to. I, you know, I, I don't expect anyone else to put any money into it. Um... And I don't have any way to donate to Nine Cents, as it were. What I would like, if I could ask, that you consider dropping a dime over at Radio Free Satan. Radio Free Satan, as you now know by listening to my show, hosts a wide variety, a vast array of different quality podcasts. And... You know, if you can drop a 1, or you can drop a 5, or you can drop a 10 spot on Radio Free Satan, collectively, it goes a long fucking way. Um, we are looking at doing some really great things here in the network, and it would really help if you are able that if you could donate. And like I said, it's it's not about quantity. It's about accepting that these are quality shows with unique perspectives and that the content is worth it. So, you know, if if you have the means, by all means, drop a dime for something that you listen to and enjoy because every artist that 
you hear on this network is paid for that. And not every podcast can say that. Not every podcast does that. But Radio Free Satan does. So support what's great about the internet. And this is one of those gems. Uh, But like I said before, that's it for another show. I hope you enjoyed it. And I would love to hear from you. And I have heard from a number of you. And I would like to just briefly take a moment and thank those of you who have written in. I've gotten messages not only via email. I've gotten them via Facebook. I've gotten them via Undercroft. And it goes to show... It helps me know that, yes, there's an audience for what I'm delivering and that you appreciate the unique perspective that I'm giving and, at the very least, uh, you like hearing the guests I have on from time to time. (laughs) But you know what? I'll fucking take that if I can. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, It is truly a pleasure to be able to bring this to you every week. And though at times it's challenging, at times it takes me away from maybe sometimes things I'd rather be doing, like spending time with my kids or something. You know, it's only for a couple hours in a week. So I'm, I'm willing to do that for satisfaction. Um, and then I get to spend the rest of the week with them. So <laughs> it's not like I'm giving it all up to you. Visit my website, 9centspodcast.com, and send any correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, or general comments you might have. And realistically, if you do have topics you'd like me to cover, whether they're satanic or not, you know, let me know, because I have covered in the past requests, and I think it's fascinating to know what my audience likes to hear. You can visit the Undercroft Facebook, Twitter, MySpace page of 9cents and get updated on weekly topics. I'm also now on Google+. So add me to your circles for updates there. You can also listen to this show through Radio Free Satan or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com or subscribe via iTunes by searching 9cents. And don't forget to leave a rating or comment. If you'd like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. If you'd like to meet other Satanists, visit Undercroft at satannet.com. And if you'd like to hear other fine satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit Radio Free Satan, an online streaming radio station. Once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, Hail Satan!